We have an absolutely incredible story today to share with you. We have our friend Jamie on from Soul City. She was in a small group with both of us, and we just really talk honestly about addiction, and it is something that is heavy. It's something that is challenging for for someone who is going through addiction, but also the people around them, the people that love them. And that's the story we're going to hear. That's the perspective we're going to hear. And we really hope you guys enjoy it and um, can relate to it. I don't know what kind of struggle you're going through. I don't know what the situation may be, but you serve a mighty God. A new addition. <laughs> I know. I wanted to try something new with this music. Oh my God, I love that. <laughs> exactly what I needed. <laughs> Welcome back to Walk After Falling, everybody. We are here with an awesome guest, a very special friend of ours that we met in small group. Yet another small group friend. Another small group friend. <laughs> that just goes to show you, get yourself in a small group. I don't mm-hmm. care if it's virtual, in person, if you're writing old school letters, I'm just going <laughs> to stop right there. But I'm here with Catherine. And Catherine, introduce our guest for us. Yeah, so like Julian said, we met in small group and um, they have continued in small group together. And I know that, Jamie, you have been such a great shoulder for Julian going through, you know, his season with work and, um, you know, just wanting to get into the creative field. Um, So could you introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, of course. Um, so Jamie, yeah, we met in, um, small group, which I think was almost a year ago, Julian, cause mm-hmm. we met yeah. in the summer, yeah. which is crazy. Like it feel, it feels like you guys have been in my life for a lot longer right. than that, honestly, <laughs> but it is also like, wow, this year also just throws everything off. Right. Um, yeah. I moved here two years ago. Yeah, actually exactly two years ago to work at a big agency. Yeah. So, um, my background has always been in creative strategy. I love storytelling. I love, you know, taking an insight and then um, seeing it on TV or like yeah. seeing some kind of creative output. So that could be like, I started in research and innovation. So nothing to do with traditional advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it would be like, we would work with, you know, J and J on like a packaging cue, Mm -hmm. like what type of person would be drawn to a product because of like things like visual identity. And it was, I loved that stuff. And then, um, I thought I was like, if I really want to pursue this, I should probably look for bigger agencies to see what that would look like. Mm -hmm. And so I moved here from Virginia two years ago. Um, started working at DDB. I was at DDB when we connected Julian. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then just recently in this quarantine, um, (laughs) switched over to Leo Burnett, um, which is kind of like a Chicago staple. I think they're known, you know, they were, um, they're headquartered here. They started here. So I think it's, it's, um, it's great to just kind of get that experience, but still working, um, mostly in TV and, um, big brands. I'm currently on, on big bank of America. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's been fun. Like I've, I feel so blessed that I, that I love what I do. Like yeah. I love working in a creative environment. I'm kind of like you, Julian, where like, I need that creativity mm-hmm. to like, it's, it's like what motivates me. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I really, really need that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned that you got a new job during quarantine. How has that all yeah. been going for you? Oh, it's every day. So different. Um, you know, I, I, 
when I got my offer, it was like two weeks out. I think it, the, the majority of the news we were hearing around the virus was in China. So it didn't feel really real to me. It actually uh-huh. didn't even cross my mind when I accepted the offer that it would like coincide with yeah. this stay at home order. Yeah, seriously. Um, so it was my first week and we, there were like whispers, right? Like we had heard that maybe Cook County had a case or whatever. And Leo Burnett was actually really proactive, which I appreciate. Um, so they sent out an email like the week, like the first week of March saying like new hires might be affected. And mm-hmm. then um, that first week was the first stay at home order. So I just went into the office, got my laptop, did a quick <laughs> orientation, have not met my team yet. So now we're what, eight weeks later? I can't even, yeah, I have no sense wow. of time, but um, we produced one commercial since I've been on and you know, it's everyone is so patient and kind. Like mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys, like everyone is really so like gracious towards each other, which is my team, especially. So it, I think, I think it's more so the not having control at work right now and feeling it's really hard to integrate a new member in this virtual yeah, world. Yeah, so anyone definitely. else who's like starting a new job can probably feel that. Mm-hmm. Cause a lot of that, um, I guess a lot of that camaraderie that you should have with your team, like is in person, right? It's like these, those off conversations in the mm-hmm. hallway when you're going, it's like, what are you doing this week? It's like a lot of like in-person chemistry oh, yeah, for sure. So to try to cultivate that in this virtual environment has been hard. And I think I'm realizing a lot about myself. Like I'm an in-person person. Yeah. <laughs> I was telling my aunt that last week and I was like, I didn't realize that. Like I really express myself in person. I love to print things out. I love to put them up on the wall. Mm-hmm. I love a good in-person brainstorm. Yeah. So this has been kind of challenging for my personality. Wow. Wow. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good because I mean, everything like, you know, what is relationship built on? I mean, it's not built mm-hmm. to be, you know, through a computer screen or anything like you have to be there. Mm-hmm. You have to. And even when you're doing different things, like you said, the brainstorming, sometimes you get it's easier to get a sense of what people are feeling or like you could see that facial reaction. Mm-hmm. You can kind of sense all those things in a room and it's hard to do that now. But it seems like, you know, you're you're seasoned. You've been in in a position like that for a while. So for you being a professional, the professional side is, you know, keeping you strong in it. But I feel like, yeah, the relational side for all of us, it it just, (laughs) it's, I I don't think it can get weak, but it just gets harder because then how do you adapt again when you are in the office and things like that too? So yeah, it's very interesting. I'm I'm interested to see how everything goes because to be honest, like I'm like, I'm good at home. I'm like when I'm around people, I will be an extrovert, but like I like be- I'm a homebody. I like being at same, home. Same, Julian, same. <laughs> I like I setting am up too. my office. <laughs> so, yeah, I am. I am too. And I didn't, um, I think that's a part you can be an extrovert and still be in homebody. Mm-hmm. Like I get my energy from other, from it, other people yeah. for sure. But I actually really like this downtime. Like I, I'm not, yeah, I mean, I'm not, you know, obviously the, the, this virus has been horrible for so many people, mm-hmm. but yeah. I think for a lot of people I've, I've been cooking. I mean, there's so many mm-hmm. personal silver linings to this. If um, you for can me. find like a positive in it, you know, it's like, I think it's very important yeah. that we do if you're able to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. If you're able to exactly. But on the, on the work front, I think my biggest lesson has been the power of words mm-hmm. because if I'm left, <laughs> if I'm on an audio call, you know, or even on video, it's like you have 30 people on this call, sometimes more than that, our account's huge. So there's always more people. Um, What you say holds so much more weight without that physical presence, because you're just your words are kind of everything, especially Mm -hmm. these conference calls. 
So I've actually learned so much about just taking a pause or do I really need to say that? Or am I just, am I just sharing on this conference call to be heard? Or do I actually have something substantial (laughs) to say? Wow. Um, That's a really good lesson. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I'm just like, gosh, I just babble on in these meetings. Like (laughs) I don't really need to say that much. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, no, that's good. That's, that's good way of of just becoming aware of like, Hey, maybe you've done some things before in person. And now Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, when you get back and you're, you're in front of these people, you just become better. You know, that's all about evolving. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you can, I know, um, you told us a little bit about your Virginia roots. Take us us back to what that was like growing up there. Yeah. So, okay. Well, even before Virginia, which I really, I think, so I grew up, I grew up in Virginia and I only say that I I was born in Cleveland, but Mm. I was so little. I mean, I was, I was five when I moved to Atlanta, was in Atlanta from um, kindergarten, let's see, kindergarten, first grade to, we moved to Virginia in middle school till about seventh grade. But when you think about your growing up years, like I think Virginia is still home for me because Mm. you're in middle school. We were 13. I have a twin brother. So Michael Mm. and I were 13 when we moved. Um, And uh, yeah, it was, I mean, if just looking back on faith, I mean, I grew up in, I went to Catholic preschool. Mm. I went to Catholic private elementary school, Mm -hmm. middle school. I went to a private Catholic all girl school. Um, so my entire background was very like conservative Catholic family on both sides, actually. Um, my mom's side and my dad's side. Um, but the irony in that I think is that I didn't really find faith until I left the Catholic church. And until I was, I was living in London in college. Um, and it was my first exposure to something that wasn't Catholic. So it was something that wasn't a mass. Um, I was living in London. I was I was studying abroad, and um, my flatmate uh, Megan, who went to University of Alabama, we were both like Americans, like living there, studying. <laughs> she had just this amazing presence about her that like was almost contagious. Like she was just so happy and joyful, yeah. uh, but not in not in this like not like a facade. Like it was like real. And yeah. she was like, you know, do you go to church? And I was like, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I grew up literally going to chapel on Fridays and mass on Wednesdays, you know, my whole life. And, um, I went to this church with her. It's called HTC. I really need to look Mm -hmm. it up because I don't, I don't even know if it exists anymore, but I believe it's, it's a mega church similar Mm -hmm. to Hillsong. Um, I went there and it truly was just this amazing experience. Like the music, the way that people openly talked about Jesus. Um, before that, you know, I don't know if either of you can relate to this, like growing up in, in Catholic church or, or just any denomination that's mm-hmm. more conservative, mm-hmm. everything felt so scripted and rehearsed. Oh, sure. And there was no like, yeah, there was no room for, for dialogue or like expressing feelings or doubts or anything. No. Um, yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. We you couldn't even really in. openly talk about <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, yeah. You would go in. I remember like, because I did the same thing, grew up, I think until like second grade in Catholic churches. And I remember the worst part about it for me was going to the mass. And like, I wanted to just like, we had to stand the whole time. I wanted to pull the little yes. kneeling bench down. So I would always get hit with like, <laughs> like legit get hit with a ruler like and oh, yeah. <laughs> on, my, on my hands and like to put the little kneeling bench back up like that was my my most prominent memory from it but yeah like I don't remember anything because that's how it was it didn't it didn't go deep into it 
Oh my gosh. No, I, I don't think I ever, I'm trying to think of my, you know, everyone has these like mini kind of spiritual awakenings in their mm. life. I don't think any of those even existed in, in a Catholic wow. church setting. And maybe a little bit, you know, I did, I, I always loved music. So maybe a little bit in the songs. I yeah. love, I love the traditional songs, you know, that the Catholic church still sings, but um, no, I mean, nothing compared to what I'm experiencing now, yeah. but so so that was kind of the point where I just never really went back. Um, and it wasn't, you know, when you're in college, you have so much independence. I didn't, I just, I, I it wasn't like, it was weird that I didn't go because mm-hmm. I think you're at that point where people are trying to figure out what faith is to them. And some, oh. so for, for most of us, we're going to church because it's our parent. we're going with our families because mm-hmm. our parents are making us as children. So in college, it felt like kind of the right time given just my my lifestyle then to just not go back to the Catholic Church and Mm -hmm. when I returned back from London um I found this church in Richmond um called Hope and it was just Richmond is really small you guys like it's (laughs) it's like 200,000 people it's it's really small um and it's mostly conservative but at the time there were all these little kind of like non-traditional non-denominational churches popping up and hope was one of them. So I found them online. They were right by my parents' house. So I started going and yeah, I mean, it just, I just found so much fulfillment. I found myself getting so emotional in their services, like something just needed to like let out of me. Um, and then my sister ended up going to my younger sister, who I don't know if you guys have met, Colleen. Yeah, yeah, she we have this, a couple. Oh, times. you have. Yeah. Okay, oh, I brought her to Friendsgiving. Yeah. <laughs> the small group. <laughs> yeah, my plus one. Um, she she actually went to study abroad in Copenhagen, found a church called Co- Cornerstone there. So we were both. It was so interesting. We both were kind of yearning wow. for something different. Um, and then my parents like also started going, started leaving the Catholic Church. Wow. Um, Look at you. So I don't. I Look know at you. It, you're it, a leader, do you, girl. <laughs> do you know? Do you know what's so funny about that? It, they were all coinciding with each other. It was wow. so weird. It was kind of this strange thing where I think we were all at a point in our lives where we were just really wanting something more. And yeah. um, I mean, you guys have seen how these how churches now have just blown up, and people mm-hmm. are really questioning um, questioning the system, and you know what's man made and what's Jesus. And, yeah. There's yeah. like, there's a lot of like, I think, for, I think my story is probably similar to a lot of other people's where they, you know, got a taste of what it's like to talk about it, to, to be in the presence of a church that feels a little bit more authentic. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then it's hard to go back after that. Once you're exposed, like once you've experienced it, it's hard to, it's hard to go back to a church setting where you don't feel like you're connecting to Jesus as much. Oh, for sure. Especially like when you not even just growing up in the Catholic side, like I, yeah, I did that till I was in second grade, but for me, I grew up Pentecostal church, all of that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you go through, sometimes you go through just church hurt in general, no matter where you're yeah. at. And yeah, it just makes you feel completely just on the outside looking in. And it's oh so hard. Like before I got to Soul City, I think I was like a nomad for, you know, I would still go to church every Sunday, but it wasn't, I didn't have a home. Like, mm. you know, so I just kept feeling like I was just on the road, like searching. Like I would go to this big church over here and it was too big and felt empty, you know, even though it was this full church or I would go to this other church and they wouldn't have like a, you know, a twenties ministry or anything where I felt like I needed to grow. And then I tell this story all the time. Like when I finally got to Soul City I and it was in the, um, the other side, so it was still small, um, 
I loved it. Like it was like, whoa, nothing like I've ever experienced before. But then it took me even another year, probably a year and a half before I even committed to going. I would tell other people to go uh-huh. <laughs> and then I just wouldn't go myself. <laughs> so that's how much like it took me to really get over just being hurt and, and finally like saying, I'm going to establish my roots here and try to just, you know, receive and whatever happens after that happens. Wow. Yeah. I don't think you're alone in that at all. Uh, We had um, such a good conversation in my alpha group. It was two weeks ago about like church is just a building, you know, like, and we're learning that we're learning that now in quarantine, I think more than ever that um, church has so much baggage. And I think it's for, for most people at the subconscious level, like, like congregating in a building that has you know, you, it brings up memories of childhood. It brings yep. up like a lot of memories of shame mm-hmm. in um, the whole, the whole setup to the congregation of kind of worshiping this, this human figure of a priest, you know, like Jared and Jeannie and other, other pastors, they, they never ever try to claim, you know, that yeah. they're better or they're on this pedestal. Wow. And I think, I think the pastor congregation relationship tells so much about a church to me mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, because because a lot of that people don't even do. We have to like unlearn a lot, right? Like in mm-hmm. Soul City, like, like I always feel like it's more of like a conversation. I never feel like I'm being talked to, like exactly. talked at. Um, exactly. So there's a lot. I don't blame you at all for that. And I think you're, I think that's so common to like go, not go. Like, yeah. is this for me? Like, am I getting, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's hard. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's really hard. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about like, you know, where you feel like you have within this whole journey, within that journey of you, you know, finding that place now you can open up a little bit more. W- what other things started to arise for you? Like what other ways did you feel like, man, like I'm opening up here but now this is happening. So, you know, just any anything that was kind of arising for you that you had to fight back at. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, it's so funny when you, you don't see things unfolding in the moment when you're living them, but then you look back and you're like, wow, like that really tells a story. Like I, um, I think around the same time when I was, when I was finding, finding myself in, in this new church setting, like I was also finding a lot of like kind of rediscovering myself a little bit mm. in this like authentic way. Um, but for me, like going back to my story, um, growing up in a conservative household, like we did not talk about pain. We didn't talk about feelings. Mm. Um, and, and I don't think that's a knock at, at my parents. I think it's just, um, it's just learned it's conditioned. It's generational, yeah. Yeah. you know, like both sides of my family were, were very conservative Catholic families, wow. um, like very conservative <laughs> Catholic families. Um, so it was just, we just didn't talk about it. And, a lot of things were going on in my family. Addiction runs in my family, um, emotional abuse, trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at the time, you know, at 13, my twin brother, Michael, um, he became addicted, very heavily addicted to drugs. Mm-hmm. And um, me kind of finding, gosh, we could get into this for so long, but me mm-hmm. kind of finding my faith outside the Catholic church actually helped me be a better sister to Michael. Wow. Like mm-hmm. it was, um, kind of like the tools that I needed at mm-hmm. the time, but 13 is so young. So we had just moved from Atlanta to Virginia and it was kind of the classic story, not to negate his like unique experience, yeah. but it was kind of the 
classic story of getting in with like the wrong group, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like making the transition. Once we went to high school, he actually chose to go to a public high school. My sister and I went to the all girls, um, private high school, not, not to say that 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 did anything. We actually had a really great public high school in our, in our district. Um, but yeah, I, I I think there were a lot of things at play. He had been struggling with depression. Um, addiction runs both sides of my family. Um, and just kind of got into the wrong crowd and um yeah he became addicted to drugs and alcohol really really early mm. um he ended up dropping out of high school and then the next without going into too much detail i mean the yeah. next we just turned 28 last weekend so yeah. wow the next like gosh there uh, i don't even know de- the next like decade or so mm-hmm. was really just you know outpatient inpatient rehab um time pockets where he was clean but never consistently Mm. um so my being his twin like my life was now even if it didn't seem that way on the surface was kind of always centered around michael's Mm. well-being because because even if we weren't at a place where we were talking or we felt as close like my my life just was kind of changed forever because he wasn't well. Um, And then the way that my parents handled his addiction because of their conditioned behaviors were, Mm -hmm. was very much like, let's fix him. Or like, why do you keep upsetting us? Or like, you're ruining kind of this perfect family picture. Like Mm -hmm. they couldn't, instead of, they didn't really approach um, his struggle with compassion Mm -hmm. And I don't think they really knew how, Mm. um, because everything up into that point, I think generationally in my family was like, just throw it under the rug. Let's Mm -hmm. not talk about it. Like, Oh, he has this issue. Yeah. 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 Wow. So yeah. No, I was just going to say, thank you for sharing that. Like, thank you for being vulnerable in that. Cause I know like I'm so far apart from both of my siblings as far as age wise, like my, you know, I'm probably, seven I think seven or eight years from my sister and then from my brother he's two years older than her so almost 10 so like I can't imagine you know what that what that means to be so close to somebody sharing maybe every moment up into your life uh you know in your life up to a certain point and then now you know seeing seeing that other half of you just just you know struggle and feel weak you know can you tell us a little bit more about how that just affected you in the ways like how you stayed strong for him and for oh, yourself yeah. and for oh yourself. My gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was so up and down. I mean, what's very confusing, I think for me at the time was that we're at an age appropriate stage where recreational use of drugs and alcohol is like pretty yeah. common. You know, mm-hmm. you're like having your first beer and you're, <laughs> you know, trying other things for the yeah. time. I don't know, depending on kind of where you are, but um, so for me, it was very confusing to separate like what was addiction and what was just recreational use. Yeah. Um, but then as things progressed, you know, when he, when he dropped out of high school and like seeing his like physical state, like kind of seeing him turn and, and me losing kind of what I knew, mm-hmm. like felt like I was kind of losing my brother. He, yeah. um, that's like when it really hit me and like the rehab and the every, like he, he was so, um, obviously addicted to, mm. to so many things. Like it was, it was, it kind of turned, I think when I was like starting college that mm. like how, like, wow. And, um, 
I think it really, really hit me when um, he started losing friends um, because he was hanging, he was doing drugs at such a, such a a scary rate, Mm -hmm. like the amount of the amount of drugs and what he was doing that um, we, he lost a lot of friends. Like he suffered a lot of grief. Um, And then my, I remember I worked at, I worked at Nordstrom Mm. um in between college in between like <laughs> semesters at college <laughs> to get to get some money yeah. and um and I remember I got the call that his girlfriend had passed Cabell from a drug overdose oh and like that's when it became like wow. so real to me like I'll never forget that moment because it was like his girlfriend and it was someone that like I knew mm-hmm. and it just was so close to home wow. um yeah. and in terms of my relationship with faith like I kind of stopped admittedly stopped kind of praying for Michael's recovery at some point, Mm. I think like five years ago, because I just didn't believe that he could recover. Mm. I I feel that like so much in like, in in my heart because my, both of my brothers have also struggled with addiction and it's, Mm. you know, addiction is just so, so hard. Like, because you're right. You do at a point, stop believing that it's possible for them to get better. Mm-hmm. And it's so, yeah, it's so yeah. bad to say that, but I mean, it's, you just see the cycle so many times mm-hmm. that you, yep. you just expect it to keep going. Wow. Completely Catherine. And, um, I think when I started to hear myself kind of like talk to God even in my prayers, it was like, how much time do I have left? Like mm-hmm. those were my prayers. Yes. Like they were, they were God, they were so cynical. Like who wow. prays like that? Like I look back and I'm like, Oh my God. Like, mm-hmm. like I, but I just knew, I mean, going back to the cycles of it too, like he was in no shape to want help. Mm-hmm. He didn't believe in AA. He, he was going, he also like with addiction, there's so much like lying and denial. Yes. Like anytime I even thought he was doing well, like he came to visit just this past Thanksgiving, like and thought he was doing well, but then you just know the signs mm-hmm. and you start to see. And it was just, I have such a emotional bond with Michael. Mm-hmm. I feel yeah. very, very connected to him. Like I can tell, I can sense when things are off. Um, I can sense when he, when he's lying, like I, there's just a lot of things that I, I just know. And, and he's, he's great at, at I don't want to say manipulating us all, but it's just kind of part of struggling with addiction. Yes. Like you will, you're so bound to something that mm-hmm. you will protect that addiction, mm-hmm. even at the wow. cost of your own family. Like Absolutely. we don't even have enough time to go through everything when we were kids, but when he started using you, there were a lot of times where he put me and my sister kind of not, not in a dangerous place, but he, but he was, he was willing to do anything mm-hmm. to, to, to keep his, you know, addiction yeah. going. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I think is important to call out in my story is that we lived a very, very privileged life. Mm-hmm. Like my dad mm-hmm. worked really hard. Um, we were financially very privileged, which, which to me, I've always kind of struggled with because, um, I always felt kind of strange about like complaining mm. that we, cause I never felt like privilege and pain could, could live, could coexist. Oh. I mean, it's, it's so yeah. like, I, I always felt like, Oh, but we have like the resources mm-hmm. like we have, or like, we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, wow. like it, it never felt so until Cabell really passed, it wasn't until it became like real that that like, just because I was sheltered, you know, growing up in Catholic school mm-hmm. and, and living in this nice community, like I, I didn't realize like how close to like death and pain I was wow. like with Michael. Um, and, 
yeah, it, it was it was wild to think about how my faith kind of transformed myself as a sister. Um, I think growing up, our, our parents weren't necessarily. My dad was struggling with his own gambling addiction. He was very distant growing up. Um, my mom was emotionally abusive. She she was not a maternal figure at all. She, I I actually felt very unsafe with her. So. But, but again, you know, they were together at the time we fit the, the, the perfect, you know, Catholic family, yeah, I guess, like, yeah. like no one would ever guess that that was going on behind closed doors, mm-hmm. but I didn't really feel like they knew how to handle my goal, which I think I just took so much like on wow. because they, they, they weren't treating him with yeah. compassion, which was very confusing to me because we know when we struggle, you know, to label someone an addict at like 15 or 16 and to kind of just send them off to rehab. Like that's mm-hmm. like the, one of the most unloving things I yeah. think you can do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when I, when I feel like I found my, my faith, um, Michael and I were yeah. able to like have honest conversations. We were able to be vulnerable with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, something, I think something switched in me just kind of following the teachings of Jesus and, in that like, my love for Michael has nothing to do with if he's using or if he's not. And like, I wanted that to be like so clear to him because I didn't feel like it was clear growing up. I don't Mm. think that's the message he received. I think it was, if he was sober, my parents maybe unknowingly were treating him better. Right. Mm -hmm. When he was doing well, they were complimenting him. Like when he got his quote unquote act together, like we were praising him, we were rewarding him. And that, that is so like, I don't know. Like I, I felt like I wanted to tell Michael even, even now that he, Mm -hmm. like my love for him as, as his twin and as his sister, like could never change, you know, if he's, if he's, you know, using or, or not, Mm -hmm. it just doesn't, love doesn't work that way. Like I can't Mm -hmm. turn it off and turn it on. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. And then I think, so going back to the, back to kind of what I've learned from this pain is in the, in the fall, I think I had always suppressed my pain. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. it was something learned. I've always been this positive person. I've always, um, I've always kind of been able to compartmentalize my pain. I had like kind of a hold on it, um, to the point that I could still function. Right. Like I could still get, get that job, like do, do things at the surface level that felt like I wasn't in pain, like Mm -hmm. that I was doing okay. But, um, last fall, gosh, this week, (laughs) this week's, um, sticks out in my mind because it was just pain had finally caught up to me mm. um th- this week in the fall I was in the middle of a small group um Michael had this relapse um he was trying to get sober at the time but they also historically there have been lots of times where he has been trying to get sober mm. every time I have a lot of hope right and Catherine you could probably relate to this but there's always something that's like in the back of my head like I should only have a certain amount of hope yes. right because mm. I don't know I don't want to like set my expectations too high mm-hmm. um but it was like this crazy week in the fall um it was like at the end of October and Michael had called me at 6 6 a.m. I was getting ready for work and he was just like I don't want to live anymore Mm. he was like I and I had I had dealt with depressed depressive thoughts with Michael but never to the extent of like a suicide call like I never I felt so like in over my head um but it was like I'm so sick of letting you down like I'm so sick of like like there's no purpose for me like very, very irrational thoughts. And like, I found myself in this crazy place, like having to parent him because, you know, 
our mom really isn't in our life anymore. Mm. And it's, it's a healthy thing. It's not, yeah. it's not a bad thing. Um, so I found myself just so scared. You know, I called my aunt who's kind of the closest mm-hmm. thing. My mom's sister is kind of the closest thing I have to a maternal figure. She, she called me and she's like, you have to call the police. You know, you need to call mm-hmm. her to the police. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I have a presentation at my wow. agency at 10, which yeah. I kind of had that like carved out time an hour before at nine to like rehearse it. Yeah. So I felt very like, I don't know. I felt like so scattered. So I'm like getting ready. I'm like, don't hang up the phone. You know, I kept it on speaker mm-hmm. and he was just crying, sobbing. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I got a hold of a friend there. He, um, he, he ended up being fine. Um, mm-hmm. he woke up with like this gash on his head. Mm. Um, he was like bleeding. He had to go get stitches. He, he doesn't remember anything that happened. He thinks yeah. that he like got into a fight, but like woke up on a random person's couch. Mm. I, I don't, yeah, it was just, it was a mess. But that same week, um, my dad also, uh, relapsed mm. with his gambling addiction. Um, and then we, we ended up losing the account on, um, the account that I moved here for Mm -hmm. to work at DDB. We ended up losing an account that week. Um, One of the the relationships I was with that was kind of on and off, like ended there. Mm. There was just a lot of things that week that were, that were, that were just really, I couldn't really turn to my sister. She was, um, she struggles with depression. I can't really, I I choose not to go to her with a lot of things that are Mm -hmm. Michael related because it's just too much for her. Mm -hmm. Um, She's younger than us too. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's not, yeah, I didn't want to worry her, especially since it was during the workday. So yeah. I just felt this um, insane heaviness. Like I had never really felt like that in my entire life. I, I w- it was just emotional exhaustion of kind of all of the pain just mm-hmm. catching up to me. And I, I honestly just kind of felt like a zombie. Yeah. Um, it was just this crazy feeling of like, I've, I've never been that close to losing my goal. Um, mm. Everything that was happening with my parents, the account, you know, my job security, it was like kind of pain coming at me mm-hmm. at all fronts. Wow. Um, but I think I learned so much like I think God was teaching me so much about mm-hmm. pain because I don't know if you were you were at the small group Julian but um I was in a really I would say dark place because I had met God in my struggles right mm-hmm. like I met God in London at that church mm-hmm. um because Michael obviously like I had I had always been feeling I've always been struggling because of Michael's struggles and yeah. um this was the first time that I actually felt God's absence, Mm. not to say he was absent. I don't think he was at all, but I had, I like was, I was so angry at God. Mm. Um, and I was so, uh, lost and just didn't. And I remember going to small group and, um, I think my first lesson on pain was we were sharing, um, we were sharing prayer requests at Mm -hmm. the end of small group. Like we always do in this, and I wanted to just like unravel yeah, to you guys. Like yeah. I remember I literally just like wanted to just explode at mm-hmm. what I was going through. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I, I'm almost positive. My brother at this point is so fragile. I'm just like, it's a matter of days before mm-hmm. something happens. Wow. My, I don't have my mom to lean on to at all. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad's, you know, telling me that he had, that he had a slip up. Colleen's depression it just fell mm. and then losing the account like it was yeah. it was just so much for me I didn't even know how to confront it and mm. um 
And I didn't feel like I was just so angry that mm. we were, that we were praying for her. And it was this great, it was just this really, um, dark. I mean, no one wants to feel that way either. Mm. Right. Like mm. I didn't like that. I was feeling that way, but I couldn't help it. So mm. I decided to, I had to feel it. But, um, I think there was so much that I learned in that moment. I mean, back to what you're saying, Catherine, you can only, I think the devil really isolates us in our yes. pain. And I, I had never seen it until then, like mm. how, how the effects of that, cause they're so real. Um, I didn't feel like I could really talk to anyone about it because in my mind, I felt like no one would understand. Mm. And that's like, and people, people would, I have a great community at Soul City. I yeah. think there are a lot of people that, that could hear me and, and help me. Mm-hmm. But I felt like no one is going to understand what I'm going wow. through. Like I mm. can't tell anyone um, besides like my family and my, and my aunt, but um, it just felt so heavy. And, and looking back on it, it was, it was interesting because I think I just had to, had to, to confront it and feel it to mm-hmm. move past it because my whole life I had been suppressing pain. A, a yeah. lot of people truthfully didn't even know Michael was struggling so much until, until it got really severe because I, my family just pretended like it didn't happen. Mm. Like we, like we, we were very good at just like putting on a face and not even call, we couldn't even name it. Like we couldn't yeah, even call it addiction. Yeah. And, and it was so, so in the trenches at that point, it, it's almost comical that we couldn't even verbally talk about it, but mm-hmm. that's just how I grew up. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but the, there's there's so many things that I kind of learned about pain. I mean, one of them you already hit on, Catherine, of just um, how the devil isolates you, and you can only see your pain. You're so clouded that you mm-hmm. don't you you kind of like lack. You're distorted a little bit. Your yeah. perception of what's happening, like you kind of lack awareness of like the real picture. And I think that's like the devil doing its work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, distraction deception mm-hmm. all of that you know the you know idle mind that's they say idle mind idle hands is the devil's playground you know mm-hmm. and, and what like in that moment it's not that you are not trying you know it's just mm-hmm. you you feel despair Com- completely I felt oh my I, yeah one part of the story that I just can't believe this happened but I ended up taking the L to that small group and um and I, I took like the pink line there and the, the mm. green line back. And when I was on my way back, I was one of those people that I was just crying in public. Mm. And that had never happened to me before. Wow. Like I was sobbing while people were looking at me and I didn't care. Yeah. I was just, I was in this crazy dream. I don't know if you, like mm-hmm. my pain was so overwhelming that I was sitting waiting, <laughs> waiting for the train. And this little girl was looking, like, I just, I didn't care. I was so exhausted mm, yeah. by like the past, like, you know, decade mm. with everything that it was just, I had just reached my edge. Like mm. I, I, I remember even like getting off the train and walking home and just walking past my doorman and just being like, just crying and like, wow. didn't, didn't care. Like it was this crazy liberating, but like really, really sad feeling it was it was mm-hmm. really interesting there were like a lot of mixed mm-hmm. emotions um but so I ended up going to a really close friend at Soul City and telling them about how mad I was that we were like praying for these superficial things yeah. in my mind they were superficial that every I've now learned so much about prayer mm-hmm. but um mm-hmm. 
but there were so many things I learned about pain comparison because one of the things she said to me was she was like, when I met you, I didn't think anything was going on in your life. Mm-hmm. Like you talk about, you talk about work a lot. You, mm-hmm. you pray, you pray for, I wouldn't say superficial things, but she was like, you, none of your prayers would ever lead me to believe you were suffering. Wow. Like you, and I remember just being like, wow, like, why would I ever make an assumption about this girl in my small group who's praying for Gretzel? Like, do I really think that's the worst thing going on in her mm-hmm. life? Like, there's no way mm-hmm. that that's true. Yeah. And I had tricked myself to believe that that was her worst pain. And mm. no, I mean, that's, that, there's no way that that's true. But even if it is, I think one of the craziest things that I've learned is that I actually really appreciate that then. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't want pain on someone, yeah. right? Like, like if say that is her, say that is the the part where she's wrestling the most, like trying to decide which grad school to go to. And mm-hmm. I'm over here, like feeling like I'm dying. Like um, that is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Like when people yeah. pray for small prayers, like I just have this like newfound appreciation for that because I'm like, wow, that is great that you can bring that to God mm-hmm. because God answers the tiniest, smallest everyday prayers to like Mm -hmm. huge ones, like addiction recovery, like that, Mm -hmm. like, and that was such a beautiful thing. Again, couldn't see it in the moment, but we're talking, this has been six months since, since that horrible week. But, um, yeah, that, that taught me a lot. And it took it. I loved how she pushed me to self-reflect too, because Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, I actually, someone could have that reaction to my prayer request because I don't remember the last time I opened up about Michael in a prayer request. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so, so yeah, that, that was crazy. It was just like this, like huge realization, but, um, you know, writers talk a lot about, um, they talk a lot about waiting until they, they live through the pain to actually Mm. put pen to paper because when you're writing in the pain, it just, it, you're lacking the clarity and the perspective Mm. because that time is you're supposed to be feeling it. Yeah. So sharing for me was really uncomfortable. This idea of vulnerability, which I love Renee Brown. I love vulnerability, but to Mm -hmm. me, I was sharing. (laughs) I I love her so much. Um, I was sharing like for validation and not sharing like for support. Like Mm. I was, I was sharing so someone could validate me, but that's such a, that's such a high expectation to put on someone. No one's, you know, no one's related to Michael. They're not his mm-hmm. sister. No one has lived the life I've lived. Like only God can validate my pain. Yes. Why was I sharing, you know, to be validated? I should have been sharing just to feel support. So, so I think, you know, sharing pain has been a huge lesson too. Like just when to share. I know you both love Elevation Church because Julian, mm-hmm. you, yeah. you're the one that introduced me to him yeah. and I love him. I listen to him all the time. Um, he talks about like having your like circle, right? Mm-hmm. Like your close circle to share yeah. pain because it's like a privilege to, to wow. hear someone else's pain. Yeah. And, that and I was love a that you actually too. talked about that, that you said validating your pain, because I think a lot of times, like when you have someone in your family and you not, you didn't just have someone, you have multiple people in your family that are struggling with addiction, depression. And it's like, you, Jamie, are holding all of that for them. Of course, Mm. you're not experiencing it, but you are holding a part of it for them and you're holding your pain too. Mm. And I think a lot of, you know, a lot of times like with my older brothers, like I, I kind of felt like, like, what about me? You Mm. know, like Mm. you, you get this like, but, but then it's, then it's like, well, yeah. What about me? Like I'm, I'm fine. 
I'm fine. Like you're clearly struggling more than me. And so it is mm. like you want someone to validate that pain inside you because you feel like you have to shove it down because mm. something else is going on that needs attention more. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Yes. Everything you just said. Yes. Like I don't, I, Catherine, I don't even think I knew what my pain was because I mm. it had been secondary to wow. so many other people's pain. Like I mm -hmm. don't think I could even name my own pain mm -hmm. because for all of my, I mean, since 13 or 14, like my pain had been watching Michael's pain. Like mm. it was like, so secondary to me that like what I'm walking with now is honestly like understanding my own needs. And yes. those are so, so going, going back to kind of my story with Michael a little bit is, um, so that thing happened in, in November mm -hmm. or at the end of October, beginning of November, he, I, I went back to Virginia for Christmas. I, he was doing better, but not completely clean. Um, and then Jared gave that big, um, that big sermon in the beginning of this year around big prayers. Mm -hmm. And yep. um, was Michael was obviously my big prayer. And mm -hmm. that's um, so funny because my brothers were also my big prayer. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, Kathy, we're gonna have to connect after this. I know when I'm you're like, no one will understand. I'm like, girl, I understand. <laughs> you're like, I feel you. <laughs> I love it. I can totally feel that. Uh, oh my gosh, we'll have to connect. But um, mm -hmm. but so that was my big prayer, and then he gave this sermon about um, uh, what was it? It was like, don't quit on six. Remember, mm -hmm. it was like this yep. thing where like your like your prayers almost answered, but something a huge obstacle, like a huge obstacle gets mm -hmm. in the way. You think it's like you you're actually being set back. So in the beginning of this year, Michael ended up failing a drug test. He also has, not, I don't want to share too much of his story because it's his, mm -hmm. but he also has a huge, because of his addiction, he's been involved in all sorts of things. He has a criminal history. Mm -hmm. He's, he has to, um, he, he's being, mon I don't want to say, mon I don't know what the actual term is, but mm -hmm. he goes in for, for like drug tests yeah, mm -hmm. probation. and, um, yeah, probation, mm -hmm. um, so he, so he failed the drug test, which was so upsetting for me and my family in, in February, oh gosh, January, I guess. So we had to stay in jail for 30 days. Mm. Um, and it's not like jail, jail. It's like, a I don't, it's, I don't, I don't know what it is, but it, it's basically, it's just like jail. Mm -hmm. Um, but he's basically watched and just because, you know, he, he needs to get clean. And I think I have all kinds of thoughts on the judicial system in jail, <laughs> but, um, in that, he had so many rock bottoms and mm -hmm. I'm, I, I went down this rabbit hole and I go, I g return to it often about how people get clean. You hear about these sobriety stories of like mm -hmm. 20 years, 15 years. And you're like, every story is so different. Mm -hmm. And for mm -hmm. Michael, he had so many rock bottoms. I mean mm -hmm. like multiple rock bottoms, but for some reason this time, um, he, got sober and he's been sober for like a hundred plus days. Wow. He's been sober since January. And this is the first time he's ever been sober for this long wow. since I can ever remember. And, um, it's, it's not only that he's sober cause that's, that's not really it. it it's like, he is finally like doing AA and like doing mm. the steps and like not trying to take on sobriety as like, on his own because yeah. he had always done that in the past he was like all right my last like I i'm done like i mm. this is it you know like i'm gonna turn my life around and it was just like seeking help like he has a sponsor this is the first time he he had always criticized aa mm. like for as long as i can remember and um he's just like doing he's in therapy on a weekly basis um 
he has a job he's back in school like wow, he awesome. it's kind of it's kind of crazy like what god has done and and Catherine, you already mentioned this but everyone like the recovery process is so different for every single person mm-hmm. but like when when you know someone is like getting clean it's just like this amazing feeling because you know like how difficult that is because you've heard it so many times like mm-hmm. i'd heard michael say attempt to get clean so many times but this this really feels so different and oh my gosh he's finally like confronting all of his past trauma Mm -hmm. he is like a totally different person he has like newfound clarity um he's just he's like physically better like physically healthy because obviously drugs take a toll on like your physical Mm -hmm. health Mm um and yeah, it's it's truly like a miracle. Um, and it was my big prayer, which makes it even more special, yeah. I think, because it was like Jared, you know, really pushed us to like mm-hmm. write it down and make yeah. it like a, a thing. Yeah, that's what it means to intercede for other people, you know, continuing yeah. to just just bridge that gap and stand in the gap for them. And especially somebody so close to you, just always keeping that the forefront and holding it together. I, I just really appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing this story because this is you're not the only one and I want you to mm-hmm. know that and you know that but you but it's different to hear it you are not mm-hmm. the only one you're not alone in feeling that way and feeling like you are the glue and yeah. if the glue dries up and and somehow it doesn't stick anymore like what do you do you can't be afraid of that you just have to continue to keep your heart just so tender you know what I mean for yourself but also like there is there is going to be a um, a pinnacle. There's going to be a reason that God is going to reveal to you why you stood in this gap for so long and why he chose mm-hmm. you. So mm. just keep hanging on to that. And, you know, I think your ability to hold both compassion and anger, because, you know, for for people who are in families with with people who are addicted you do become, at least I have become so angry and sometimes Mm. it's so hard to get past that, but Mm. you just shared like such a beautiful example of, like you said, being a better sister to him Mm. and loving him regardless of if he is addicted or not. And like holding that compassion and anger is so, so hard. Mm. Like I, I struggle with that every single day. (laughs) Yeah, guys, I left out all the ang- all the anger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely not in not in that innocent. I mean, oh my gosh, God, holding the oh my gosh, the the anger was so real. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. oh my gosh, because you're you're when you're so bound to a substance or mm-hmm. whatever people. That's another thing I remind Michael all the time is that addiction. You could be addicted to anything. You mm-hmm. could be addicted to people's approval. You could yes, be addicted absolutely. to working out, yeah, work. Yeah, I mean, there's so absolutely. many things you could be addicted to. We're bound to so much that we don't realize. And mm-hmm. and Michael, um, that was one. I was so angry with him because I could not relate for the life of me why mm-hmm. someone would want to. <laughs> end their life and you know and Mm -hmm. pursue addiction like it felt like such a choice for me I was Mm -hmm. like and he kept there were so many times when we were like uh 20 21 he it's like he it's like almost like he was fulfilling like a self-fulfilling prophecy yes that's what addiction does yeah that's just like a really it's like oh I'm just gonna wake up and just do the most unhealthy things I can think of today like Mm -hmm. I honestly saw Michael's life that way like I just 
and hurting so many people in the midst of it. Like Mm. also just being lied to for so many years, like, like my own twin looking at me, like Mm. in very, very desperate, like situations. Right. I mean, like, like not just like a, you know, a couch size, like chat, like really desperate situations, like him lying to me. And, um, we are so close now, like we're closer than ever because Mm. I, I truly think it is like the, I think it's just God's mm-hmm. like grace and intervening in our lives because I don't have like the same expectations I have for Michael. Like I want Michael to be happy yeah. and healthy and that makes me happy and healthy. But like Catherine, what you were saying about there's so much anger in before you get to that place mm-hmm. of like the, the, the kind of the disrespect towards you as his sister. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 you know what I mean? Like there are so many, Michael and I had an interesting conversation last week about he missed out on so many times where I needed him as a brother, yeah. boyfriends, yeah. prom, co- wow. choosing a college, mm-hmm. graduating college. Mm-hmm. Like he, he missed out so much because everything was, he was, you know, it, so in like a cloud of his own, like doing, like he was so focused on, on other things that like we missed out on so much together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never felt like I could go to him with advice. Like it was always, I was like his person to help mm-hmm. clean up and to help like get things back, back together. So it's just like, we, we don't have that traditional sibling relationship. Like I'm sure you can feel some of that Catherine. It's Absolutely. like, it's not like the traditional sibling relationship at all. Like mm-hmm. I hear about mm-hmm. my friends talk about their siblings and I'm like, I just don't even think, I don't even think I have that with either mm-hmm. of my siblings. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you really do have to go through a grieving process with that too. And I think one of the things that has been, you know, this is something like I really, honestly, every day I, I struggle with. And I think something that helps me at least in the moment kind of reframe is seeing, you know, seeing my brothers as like, you know, they wouldn't do this. Their addiction is doing this and Mm -hmm. it is, it is a disease. And that's what I have to remember too, is that you know, at some point, like it, it, it just wasn't a choice for them anymore. It's, mm-hmm. it's a compulsion oh and yeah, it's, gosh. it's just like, it's so hard to, to think that too. And especially when you're praying for them to get better, mm-hmm. it's like, why just choose, just freaking choose <laughs> to get better. And no, it's so, it's so frustrating. And man, it is like, you, you just have to just always hold that compassion, Mm -hmm. even if it's just a little drop of it. Like if it's there, then it can overcome Mm -hmm. the anger and the judgment and all of that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a lot of that understanding addiction too, like educating myself, Mm -hmm. like was the, was the biggest step of understanding that it wasn't a choice that Mm -hmm. Michael, Michael's like a victim of his own addiction. Like he's not, an addict. I hate the label addict. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. It makes me cringe. I'm like, he's struggling with addiction. Mm-hmm. He's not an addict. Mm-hmm. He's, it's, it's like, um, you know, imagine if we like all named ourselves, what we, what yeah. we struggle with. Yeah. Like it would be so <laughs> embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Um, at least mine would be. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's like understanding addiction and, um, yeah, that can that compassion is so hard. I think you're, you're very empathetic Catherine and I am too. And so I think it, it, it can become easier for us mm-hmm. because um, of, like having empathy towards them is, is a really powerful, is a really powerful to, tool. But also um, I think, I know we don't have that much time left. Oh, but no, I you're think, good. Like, We're, you're, hey, okay. like we say at least an hour. <laughs> <laughs> you're good. Okay, good. 
Um, I think another big thing was like confronting trauma because Mm -hmm. for us, like Michael didn't start to heal. I didn't start to heal because I I suffered with a tremendous amount of anxiety Mm -hmm. and I didn't even know it was anxiety. So Mm -hmm. I had right when Michael's and it's what I said before, like you look back and you're like, okay, all the dots are there. Like, Mm -hmm. why didn't, why didn't I just connect them? But then Mm -hmm. when you're an adult, like you, you, like when you're in it, you're not seeing anything that way. You're just like, you're in this, I never thought to be like, Oh, I'm having panic attacts because my brother is (laughs) addicted to drugs. Like, no, that never, that Mm -hmm. never like crossed my mind. But I started having, um, panic attacks, which I now know they're panic attacks, but at the time I was a competitive tennis player and Mm. I would have these crazy, like I would call them almost spells where Mm. my whole body would go numb and I would feel like I was coming out of my body in Mm. this kind of like being consumed by this crazy, like existential dread, I would call Mm. it. And I, and for a while when it happened first, I was in a tennis match and it totally freaked me out. I thought I was passing out. So Mm. we went to a bunch of doctors. They first thought I was like low on iron. And then, um, then they thought I was dehydrated. It wasn't until, um, we found a doctor that was actually like, actually told me, she was like, what you're describing is like textbook panic attack. Like Mm. you were experiencing a panic attack. Um, and I was like, Oh my gosh, but you guys can probably relate to this, that, um, it like, openly talking about physical anxiety mm-hmm. and, and mental health, it did not become a thing until like three to four years ago. Yeah, right. Right. Like, right. like growing up, like we never, I never thought anxiety could take physical form. Like wow. I never thought that I could feel numb because of my anxiety. Like that was a crazy thought. It kind of still is to me a little bit. Like, yeah. I'm just like, that is crazy that my anxiety can manifest itself to where I mm. feel like I can't feel my, my hands and stuff like that's, that's crazy. Um, but yeah, I started reading about it and the doc, my doctor obviously was very much convinced, especially like sharing with her what was going on in my family. She was like, your body is just holding all this anxiety. And she's like, you're experiencing like PTSD Mm. essentially. And to me, I was like, I couldn't even really take it seriously. I mean, I'm also just that person that's just like, I I mean, I, I don't know. I was just like, I mean, the only, the only, relative to like war was the only time that I ever really heard right, of PTSD. Yeah. I was like, I have this like innocent, like, you know, playing tennis after school, after my private school. <laughs> tennis league, and I'm like, how am I experiencing PTSD? And then just looking back on my childhood, you know, my relationship with my mom was mm-hmm. so traumatic and it was so traumatic wow. for Michael and Colleen. It was extreme. It was, it was not like a, my household wasn't like a safe emotional space mm. for me to grow up in. And um, it just manifested itself. So I've had, panic attacks like my whole life since then mm. um and I'm so grateful that people are starting to talk about it because I didn't really have anywhere to go like yeah. I I didn't feel like no one had really described what I was going through now I've been able to have conversations with different friends who actually have my exact same thing that happens mm-hmm. um um yeah I mean I'm hearing stories now that people say you know it feels like you're dying you know some people even yeah. call 911 because they think they're having a heart attack yeah. and and obviously I would I wouldn't wish that on anyone but it is really nice for me to hear those stories yeah. because it actually makes me feel very validated because yeah. for the longest time I, I really didn't know what was going on um so so I think you know feelings and pain like they have to find a home mm. like they they have to find a home and if you don't if you don't confront them, like I didn't really for a long time, 
they'll just manifest themselves, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. they'll, they'll show themselves, which, which is such a crazy thought for a lot of us who, who haven't confronted our own trauma. I, I think about the fact if my parents confronted their own trauma, like how my childhood mm-hmm. would have been different. Mm-hmm. You know, they both, they both grew up in very, I mean, their parents, both, both sets of my mm-hmm. grand grandpas were at it. I mean, they grew up in mm-hmm. very like traumatic households and yeah. if they, would have worked on kind of their own trauma um they would not have repeated the cycles yeah. so so i don't know that this in all of this to say i'm i just learned all of these things i mean yeah. all like a dig in the past two years since finding mm-hmm. a therapist in chicago when i moved here before mm-hmm. that it was like i yeah so the past two years have been like a wild ride in terms of me like identifying certain certain things in mm-hmm. my fit and like using my faith to kind of provide provide clarity for me. Mm, I love that. And, you know, I love that you hit on, on the trauma because it trauma is insidious and it goes through generations Mm. and, you know, like growing up in a traumatic household for you and both of your siblings, it's like you see that trauma manifesting in all three of you in different ways, Mm -hmm. you know, addiction, depression, and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just, it, like you said, it goes to show how important it is for us to do the work for ourselves and name it for not just you, but everyone around you, you know, because your actions like, it, it does, it affects your children, it mm-hmm. affects your partner, it affects your work, it affects everything. And that's what trauma does. It like starts from the ins, it comes from the outside, but it starts building on the inside and then comes out in all of these terrible, nasty ways. And it's, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, totally. And it, it actually, I think it's our job to Catherine to like break the trauma bonds and mm-hmm. like break and break these like intergenerational things. Like you said, it's insidious. Like if my, it's funny because if my, if you met my parents, they wouldn't say that they had traumatic households. And mm-hmm. it's the irony in that is so yeah. interesting because it, it's so insidious. Like mm. that the, any therapist, when, when I, when I started going to therapy two years ago and here in Chicago, I found a therapist through my work. Um, and what I was describing to her, she was like completely blown away. She was like, Jamie, like, this is like, mm this is like, you have been through some really traumatic stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's like, she's like, we're going to have to do a lot of work, you know, like she was like wanting to see me like twice a week. I was like, mm-hmm. like, it was like so much that we had to unpack together mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we had just never given the tools from my parents to like confront trauma and to call it mm-hmm. trauma. Right. Um, right. It's I like think, trauma can yeah. seem like a heavy word, but you have yes. to name it what it is. You mm-hmm. know, it can, trauma can be anything from a single, a single event, like a single car accident to an everyday waking up and, and, and a dread. It's like, it's like you're preparing yourself to enter like a battlefield, you know, when you walk oh, yeah. downstairs. In, yeah. You're in survival mode mm-hmm. and like, it's, you're in like fight or flight. That's mm-hmm. how my siblings and exactly. I like describe childhood and, and yeah. Oh, completely. And I, I, to be honest with you, I was still really uncomfortable when I was beginning therapy, calling it trauma, like I almost mm. felt guilty going back to like the, the privileged childhood right, I had. Right. Like I felt so guilty naming it trauma because mm. I'm just like, why do I have, like, I don't have the right um, mm-hmm. to even call it that because looking at other people's traumatic events or situations back to what you were saying, but then you, but then I'm like, I'm having you know symptoms of PTSD at the same time, mm-hmm. which I'm like, well, how can you explain, how could, how could you explain that? You know, like all mm-hmm. the physical symptoms were there and my anxiety, um, 
but yeah, my, I think my family dynamic has changed so much since then. My dad and I have a really great relationship Mm, right now. We like have such great, you know, he was, I didn't mention this, but he was traveling Monday through Friday every week for his job. So I actually didn't really know my dad that well. He was Mm -hmm. also hiding his gambling addiction and, um, he, yeah. So he, he's now found a church in Richmond. Um, and we can talk about faith. Like, like I truly Mm. even like saying it out loud, my, my family is just, it's just so interesting kind of where we are right now because him even coming clean about his gambling addiction, um, him talking through it, their divorce actually in a strange way. I know a lot of other families can be ruined by divorce. Like for me, it was like, wow, like I can get to know my dad now, like as his own person, it was, it's wild. Like I, and him, him talking about his struggles and, um, his trauma and him kind of like, he's like six years old, like finding his own identity now Mm. and finding a relationship with me, Michael and Colleen. Like it's, it's, it's kind of this crazy, beautiful thing that, but we had to, we had to confront all of that trauma to like get here, which honestly is the hardest part. Like Mm -hmm. I remember being in the thick of it and being like, there's no way good can come from this. Like Mm -hmm. God, like God is so far in the distance. Like I don't Mm. even see him. Mm. Like it just felt so, I don't know. It just felt so like, what is my life going to come to? Like, this Mm -hmm. is, this can't end well. I remember thinking like very negative thoughts. Yeah. And what now, you know, you're in therapy. The last few months have been going well for you, for your family. What now is your true North that you're standing on that is getting you by day to day? Oh gosh. I think I have finally entered um, a state of gratitude. It was really hard for me to, you know, people talk about the easy steps, like start a, start a gratitude journal. Mm -hmm. It was really hard for me to do that at the end of 2019, like Mm -hmm. really hard. And then when Michael went through everything in January, it was, it was just equally as hard. Um, And now I'm kind of finding this peace and like feeling so grateful for the mess, Mm -hmm. which it took me a really long time. My sister and I talked all the time about how this, we kind of wrestled with God's plan for a while Mm -hmm. because we were both experiencing so much pain um, that we were just like this, like what, what amount of pain would this be? Like, there's no amount of pain that this would feel worth it. Like we kept having those thoughts, like this just isn't worth it anymore. And obviously with her depression, you can have more of those thoughts too. Like this, this yeah. all just feels meaningless. You know, mm-hmm. we kept going back to that. And again, it's because we were feeling it all. Now I think I'm entering into a season where I feel more grateful for the mess of things. And mm. to be honest, it's probably has to do with Michael doing so well, which, which I think I'm, I think you mentioned this Catherine, but it's like, I want to get to a place where I feel that regardless of if, he, if he's mm-hmm. doing well, like I need to find kind of like my own needs kind of in all this because I haven't really felt that in a while Mm. it's interesting like I don't really I'm kind of maybe entering a place of gratitude but also kind of like self-discovery of Mm. like now that I don't feel Michael's pain kind of like yeah uh, like I was kind of wearing it like a badge for so many years and now and now I can figure out like what are my own needs like what am I struggling with outside of my twin like what am I yeah. So it's, it's, it, this is a totally new season for me and it's way, way brighter than 
than last year. Like 2019 was really tough for me. So I think this year, this year is much brighter. That's amazing. And that's so important too, that, you know, you recognize that, okay, now, now that things are kind of leveling out, now I can actually like dive into me and, you know, it's, that's just the process of it. You know, like when you're, when you have someone in your family who is addicted, like you, you just are always, you're always ready. You're always kind of bracing yourself for the next crisis or something to go wrong. And, you know, when, when you see them doing well, then you actually have a chance to like step back and reflect on you and that's okay. Like, you know, it just, it just is what it is. You, you're in the trenches with him, especially someone who's your twin. And it's like, now you have this time to to like heal yourself mm. and yes I don't even know where to begin with it's so interesting because uh, I just love what you just said because it's like it's such a kind of foreign thought for me mm-hmm. to like heal myself right because like I might have thought I was healing before but like all everything was about other people like mm-hmm. everything was about you know my mom my dad Michael mm-hmm. and Colleen really too like you know we're extremely close and her mm-hmm. depression is has definitely taken a toll so it's 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 just really yeah it's it's so interesting mm. wow. and what last kind of words of affirmation or encouragement would you share with someone who relates to any or all of your story Oh gosh I don't know if this is an affirmation, but um, on a more positive note, <laughs> I think there's so much power in love. Um, the if, When I think about like one thing that kind of defines like what I've been through, it's that like, because I was so, and this this will start off negative, but I promise it will have like a positive brighter <laughs> <laughs> ending. Um, I think because I experienced being so deeply unloved, like not, can, not unconditionally loved by mm. my mom, like they're... I love so hard. Like Mm -hmm. I love my siblings so much. Like I never want, I always want my sister and brother to feel how much I love them Mm -hmm. and and my dad and my friendships and like how much I even love my job. Like I want to exude that and like have it in, I want to like feel that in the energy of what I'm doing. And I think it took for me to really confront that reality because it's such a foreign concept for a lot of people because I don't have the maternal kind of daughter relationship with my mom. And, and it it really took for me to confront that, to like really understand what a gift it is to love other people. Like, I I don't think I'll ever look at love the same way. And that's a, I don't know if that's like a, a mantra, but it's like something that I've, I've realized, um, just kind of like looking back and kind of like feeling where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes so much sense, honestly. And <laughs> really like I could have this conversation all day. Honestly. I, know. I know, Catherine, we need to get, we need to catch up. I know, I know, but thank you so much for yeah. sharing yeah. all of that. And I know, you know, like, like you said, it's, it's his story, but it's also your story. And, um, yeah, I just really appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing everything that you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much, Jamie. Yeah. I love you guys so much. Take my hand.